Hello everyone, it's Camille and Louise, your host of the Feminist Book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores the many faces of an intersectional feminism through literature. So basically, Lou and I once a month do this little episode where we uh, put a few book recommendation um, books that we've read, enjoyed, uh, shared together uh, with a glass of wine or a cup of tea sometimes and that we would like to share with you guys because uh, it is just books that matters and discussion that needs to happen. Yay. So how are you doing? Yes, I'm very good. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited to talk about some of what we've been reading recently. Um, cool. Yeah, and uh, I absolutely loved you being on holiday last week and seeing all of your books that you were getting through um, at yes, quite a, a fast speed. <laughs> yeah, book a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the only way to be. Um, so yeah, what what? Tell us a little bit about what you were reading. Who are you going to start with today, friend? So I'm going to be talking about two essays, uh, mm-hmm. and the two authors are two friends Ooh. and two major major authors that you guys need to read. So the first is Adrian Rich. Yeah. Uh, she's an American feminist. She's a poetess, essayist. Uh, she is Jewish American, uh, and she wrote this amazing book in the eighties. I think it was nineteen eighty, mm-hmm. and it's called "Compulsory Heterosexuality and Lesbian Existence." So Ooh. basically, uh, the title, the title, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, So it's a collection of essays aiming to highlight the patriarchal strategies Mm -hmm. that impose heterosexuality as obvious, evident, like innate. Sure. um, Relegating lesbianism to a sort of like offer of second choice, often caused by obviously hatred of men, rape or revenge. Sure. So it explains like all the system of, physical and psychic male domination Mm -hmm. and um, the history behind this heterosexual construction um, that she explains very well has an economic and male profit at its foundation sure so do you think it's because you know um, because we we read Monique Vitigue um, uh, which which gave quite a uh, I mean, Monique Wittig being French, she kind of had that pers- Yeah, it's perspective. kind of like the French version of it. Yeah. Sure. So Adrian uh, Rich, I imagine, kind of gives a, a kind of American insight, right? Definitely a more American perspective. But mm. also she tries to... So like the idea for her is to deconstruct also the lesbian... Uh, image that we mm, have yeah uh, and to give to give it uh, to give some meaning of it outside of the perf- the perception that the masculine um aspect has affixed to it yeah and also to get out of the white and western patterns yes. of analysis so it like she tries to give like an american image of it but like she also uh, is trying her best to include say, 
kind of well yeah what we see is only from a white and uh privileged perspective yeah let's try to see outside of that let's try to see in other countries on other continents how it was built okay because it's it's much more of a um a rich society's uh system it's like yeah um a worldwide system yeah so basically that's it and also um so yeah there was like a few bad points i so I've read a poetry, uh-huh. which is amazing. And it was the first time I would read um, some of the um, like theoric writings. And the only bad points that I could see is that when it comes to pornography or sex work, um, she kind of perceives them as tools of sexual domination. And so she's, she seems to be quite against sex work uh, pornography and sex work sure. which i'm uh but i was well, like quite excusing her because it was the 80s i was gonna say that's probably you know? more a reflection of where feminism was at that point and exactly we because know right? sometimes is quite about to say the same about it and audrey lord is fantastic so yeah. i'm like maybe it's a context thing yeah i would have thought so or that you can't expect a kind of one activist voice to be an authority perhaps on on everything they get of to course. kind of they get to it at a different time maybe or the conversation is just maybe not ready for, for yeah. that you know kind so of that's thing. why i'm not accusing her and be no. like yeah she's not right on everything so I, yeah so i don't like it i'm just underlining that she's it could be a bit tricky to read her like you need yeah. to take a step back as you read it and also understand the context and but she does make some major statements that were really ahead of time so yeah yeah and that's it's always interesting to kind of place these these uh, engaged works within like the the context you know of what of was course, happening at the yeah. time but no that's a it's always it's always good as well for for people who might be listening and and thinking about reading the book it's good to kind of go into that forewarned because otherwise yeah. you might you might be a bit disappointed it could change the reading experience you know definitely, whatever definitely. so so yeah okay great that sounds fascinating yay tell me about you yeah so the so actually the, the two books i'm going to talk about today are They've both been published by Fitzcarraldo Editions, um, which is putting out some pretty exciting stuff. They're UK-based. It's uh, mostly contemporary fiction and um, either English-language works or uh, they also do a lot of translated stuff. So the first book I'm going to talk about today is the very recently released Hurricane Season um, by Fernanda Melchor who is Mexican. Um, So it was first published in its original language in 2017, and it has just been translated by Sophie Hughes, who is from the UK. So the novel uh, revolves around um, a village witch um, whose corpse is found floating in the river on page one of the book, so this is not a spoiler, And (laughs) and we're in the Mexican village of La Matosa. Um... We then proceed, um, there's several narratives from different neighbourhood characters who are there supposedly to shed light on who this woman was and how she ended up dead. 
Um, there's a very early comparison between the witch and La Llorona, I hope I'm saying that correctly, um, who is a figure from Mexican folklore, actually, who had kind of has ties and inspirations from Greek mythology and the goddess Medea. Um, it's very obvious that, that the witch uh, was very different things to different people. So for the men, for example, she'd have these, she'd throw these, you know, drug-fueled parties where there was randomly karaoke at the end of the night, you know, something that the neighbourhood would kind of frown upon. And then for the women, uh, they would often turn to her if they had kind of illness, if they had any unwanted pregnancy or, you know, even kind of potions like love potions or potions to repel men that they didn't want attention from. And there's also quite a surprising twist when it's revealed that some of the characters see the witch um, as uh, transgender. So that's really, really interesting. And it kind of introduces the author's exploration of homophobia within um, rural Mexican kind of society. Um, so is it because it is... Sorry, is no. it because that the fact that they can't identify the witch as a woman that they perceive her as a transgender person? Like, how come? Well, it's interesting. I think it's probably quite subjective, and I'm not sure I have a very clear answer for you. But I think basically the witch um, absorbed a lot of the burdens and problems that these people couldn't take on themselves mm. that they couldn't take responsibility for. So, for example, the characters who do see the witch as transgender, um, uh, as a trans woman, um, they're, they're male. They identify as male characters. And I think that it just kind of... Um, it, it, there's something about which has been reviled within society and kind of been seen as other throughout history because of them kind of functioning outside of what we call, you know, the norm. Um, yeah. It just kind of ties into that, you know, the witch's identity as something foreign, unwanted, um, othered, uh, kind of yeah okay nice yeah. to explain that oh, okay, okay cool. thanks <laughs> i'm glad that made sense um <laughs> i actually kind of be described this as gut punching um and and i kind of for several reasons so the main one being that the characters who we often see earlier than when they appear and take control of the narrative um they're always kind of framed very differently from someone else's perspective so the narrators tend to be quite unreliable and you feel like okay. the book is deceiving you a little bit. Um, there's a lot of violence. Um, yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of violence on show, specifically towards women, both through actions and language, the way that women are described or spoken about. Um, you know, which obviously starts with the death of the witch and then just kind of escalates. Um, I think for me, Hurricane Season is a one-of-a-kind novel that is actually hard to fit within one literary genre. Um, mm -hmm. So it kind of starts off as, you know, a whodunit. Um, but then we just kind of go down this rabbit hole and discover this whole village that's twisted, that is corrupt, that is at the mercy of those with more power. 
these people kind of either witness or carry out like unspeakable acts of evil. Um, Yeah, just before we started recording, we were having a quick talk. And as I said to you, like it really, the book really got under my skin. And when I kind of put it down for a bit, um, you know, I did kind of want to go and have a good scrub in the bath. Um, (laughs) But then despite the terrible things that happen, there is this underlying like searing honesty. And I honestly, I think the author, um, I think the author's writing is absolutely fantastic. I think the translator did amazing work, like not an easy job to get this across. Um, the author, in, uh, for example, in her acknowledgments, actually credits kind of um, real people, you know, journalists who were murdered under the, the current kind of or recent uh, political regimes in Mexico. Um, and, you know, despite the kind of depraved qualities that the characters commit, I found the writing style to be very kind of poised and self-contained because basically every chapter is like one long paragraph and it would be quite easy to just for that to unravel and to become very confusing. And I thought that her writing from a reader's perspective was, yeah, it was incredibly self-contained and so gripping. And I think uh, for people who have read uh, Eileen by Otessa Moshvig. Um, I think this is kind of like the even darker, even murkier. Um, and if you haven't read Eileen, then maybe read that before reading this to prepare yourself. Uh, but yeah, fantastic. So that's just been recent, re- recently released. And in the show notes, I'll put a link to some really good articles that have been published about it recently. Great. Yeah, that's me. On oh, over okay. to you again. Good. <laughs> Good. Um, so next book I'm going to talk about is also an essay uh, to balance with Lou's amazing <laughs> fiction book. Um, so it's written by Audrey Lord that I've Yay. mentioned just before because Audrey Lord um, was a really good friend of Adrienne Rich. Um, so Audrey Lord is quite an amazing writer because she not only is a poetess but also an activist she is black she's lesbian she's a cancer survivor she's a mother she's a feminist she's yeah. quite everything at Just, a time yeah like a very key figure of yeah you she's know definitely the feminist a warrior. yes like uh france culture the the radio uh, uh did uh, an amazing job on equality kind of like a podcast episode that lasts an hour that tells everything about Audre Lorde's life. I'll put it in the show notes also. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the the title is uh, Poetess Warrior. And it kind of like defined her really well. Yeah. So basically, um, this book is called Sister Outsiders. Mm. And it's been written in 1984. So just about the same time as Adrienne Rich's book that I mentioned before. And it's a collection of 15 essays and speeches that she's been giving uh, between, I'd say, around 1970s and mid-80s. And in this collection of essays, uh, she puts them together to explore the um, the complexity of what is it to be at the intersection of different identities. 
So she is definitely at the forefront of intersectional thinking, which was only appointed in, uh, you know, in 89 by the other American uh, Afrofeminist, Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah. So like about 20 years before, uh, Audre Lorde was one of the first person actually talking about intersectional feminism. What is it to be... um, to, to have to deal with sexism, heterosexism, racism, homophobia, classism, ageism, all of this, all of these different type of oppression at the same time. How is it super personal and at the same time more explicit of a, a bigger picture that is um, our society? Our society. Yeah. Um, the white privileged men domi- male domination. So. Um, she talks about many different things. There's a few essays that really touch me at the core of my heart um, yeah. more than others, but they're, they're all really important. She talks about poetry and, and the way it's not a luxury at all, but just an ultimate way for women to seize the complexity of the condition and to talk and put words on things and horizons that have been shut down or silenced. She talks about women against women. Yeah. So it's quite a nice reference uh, to a book that we've read uh, at the book club called Eloquent, Eloquent Rage from Brittany Cooper. Yeah. Because um, Br- Brittany Cooper quotes Audre Lorde talking about That's rage. That's right. And yeah. so it was a really nice uh, kind little of, link that I saw. Yeah. And also the fact she, she talks about how it was difficult for black women to see white women against them. And she explained very well, uh, she said something that really spoke to me, the fact that we tend to think in a binary world uh, where one is dominated and one dominates, that freedom or, um, yeah, freedom is only available in limited quantities. And, And so we tend to keep it for ourselves and exclude our peers you know yeah i know so it was yeah sorry so no it was it was just really intense and she also talks uh, a really interesting uh, chapter on how is it for her to raise a black son as a black lesbian feminist very interesting uh, very very moving she's not at all doing like a guide on how to raise sure, a kid. right. But she just puts uh, her own perspective, what she had to face, yeah, the reality. how difficult it was yeah. um, to have the responsibility of ra- raising, you know, the enemy, kind yeah. of. This is the way she perceived it <laughs> at some point. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really intense. And I must confess that we, I will definitely put it as a book, sh- book choice for our next, uh, book club session. Yay! I was going to say because she, Audrey Lord has been translated into French, and yeah. she's just such a key, you know, figure. We've done Angela Davis as well. I think, uh, I think we'd get a lot out of uh, reading oh. her at book club and having, you so know, much. a group conversation. And it is so for that. accurate. It's yeah, like, it could have been written yesterday. It would still apply so much. Well, which is quite depressing. I was gonna say, like this. So, with the fact that we're still having this conversation, you know, is frustrating and shows that like we have to do better. Um, exactly. Okay, so from your essays, we're all, we're gonna go to some more essays. 
Um, and it's actually the book, the last book club session. Um, so this is an apartment on Uranus by Paul B. Preciado. It's all awesome. book ever. <laughs> yes, Camille's <laughs> favorite book, and I would say one of my kind of um, life. Is it a bit dramatic to say a life changing book? Um, it does. Is <laughs> but as I was saying to you again before before we hit record, like this is just one of those books that sums up for me why we started a book club and why we do this because it's it's well I mean I'll explain okay so first of all Apartment on Uranus originally written in French by Paul B. Preciado a trans man um, it again has been translated and published by Fitzcarraldo Editions. So Paul B. Preciado is a Spanish, French and English speaking um, philosopher, essayist and writer who f- rather favours the nomadic lifestyle. And uh, An Apartment on Uranus is a collection of his chronicle- chronological essays from um, his articles in the French newspaper called La Libération. So it's more of a left-leaning uh, French newspaper. Uh, and we begin in March 2013 in Paris, and we end in January 2018 in Arles, which is also a city in France, in case you didn't know. Um, ambitious spectrum of topics within these pages. I think I went into it a little bit apprehensive, open-minded, but apprehensive, because I think I was a bit concerned that um, a lot of stuff would maybe go over my head, um, that it might be a little bit too academic, perhaps, um, or not accessible for me to get. However, expectations, like, completely smashed. Um, It does an amazing job at capturing kind of current-day, ongoing, global, political, religious conflicts, as well as patriarchal crimes carried out against women and obviously spotlight on communities that fall outside that heteronormative white male perspective, uh, which is always very welcome in the FBC Paris. Um... But I also like there was a lot of humour and joy, especially in the kind of more personal essays where Paul is talking about something in, in his life. I thought he was actually really dry. Like he has a very dry sense of humour. He's very, very funny, which was a very yeah. pleasant surprise. And um, I also loved the the idea because, you know, they're, they're short. So like each essay is maybe is between one to three pages. Um, and what I really loved was that kind of excitement of turning the page and wondering what was coming next, because you could go from, you know, something about current Spanish politics and corrupt kind of politicians, and then you'd get on to a chapter, you know, one of our favourite chapters, um, you know, where he describes his transitioning body as as the apartment that he's just moved into and the furniture and just this wonderful kind of um, flawless narrative really um, that I thought from an editing point of view was very well executed but I I apps yeah I just I got so much out of this book um, it, I know you read it last year in French Camille and kind of mm. told me how amazing it was and it took me a while to get there but I am now very much um, on the Paul B. Preciado uh, train, fan train. Yay! Um, and it's an amazing book. You know what? It is an it amazing is so book. Cool, and right. I think it's, I hope, I, I think it's one of those books that you could actually give to somebody who um, hasn't read a lot about kind of trans identities, um, identity politics, 
Um, and I think they'd, they'd get a lot from this book. I think it puts forward things in a really relatable um, way. And I was, I was just so impressed. I was so impressed. And obviously there's another kind of FBC Paris book club tie-in because Paul B. Preciado is very good friends with Virginie Despont. Uh, yeah. and we read her we read King Kong Theory last year in uh, in book club so she she writes a wonderful forward as well that you know I was almost in tears at and it was just the beginning I was like how am I going to get through this book <laughs> without just being an emotional mess so absolutely fantastic writing and would highly recommend in the show notes we can pop up um can pop up we can pop a couple of um uh, podcast ep- uh, interviews that Paul did in French so yeah, that's me. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, done. it was an amazing book. I'm so glad that you guys have been able to read it for club session. I know we just missed you. We wish you could have been there, but obviously you were I on know. holiday, so that we can't. Sorry. Yeah, how I dare really you? To be there. <laughs> I and know. People were like, "Are you saying you're sad to be going on holiday and miss your fucking book club?" I was like, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, mm. Okay, so that's us. We'll pop a couple of other books that we've been reading as well this month, but that we just didn't have time to to talk about and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, an English guest don't forget you can follow us on Instagram at the FBC Paris feel free to leave us uh, a few star reviews or a little comment on the podcast we're always kind of here for constructive feedback um and yeah just check out our website www.thefbcparis.com you can sign up to the newsletter you can read our blog listen to the podcast whatever you want speak to you soon (laughs) bye bye